0: Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse Podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse Podcast. My name is Jason Davies, and I am the host of this episode, number 37, OT Schoolhouse Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. As you can tell, I'm a little pumped right now. I just got done with the gym and I am excited to be uh, recording this intro for you all. Today we're going to talk a little bit about burnout, but first I want to say thank you so much to everyone who's been responding to my emails, my Instagrams. Uh, stories about your caseloads about what challenges you guys are experiencing as we start this new school year. So big thank you so much to everyone who's been responding everyone who's been sharing the podcast. Thank you so much. It's really been amazing just seeing everyone kind of come together around this podcast and really enjoy all the content that's going on. So I'm excited about that obviously and I'm just happy to be uh, to be here and to provide you guys with a little bit of knowledge from all around the states so far. I don't think we've had anyone actually from outside the states yet. But I um, just want to say thank you so much for following along, being there with me, and, uh, and taking this podcast wherever you go. Today's episode is actually a podcast professional development course, so you will be able to earn one unit of professional development upon listening to this podcast and then going to otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 37. That's where you'll see the show notes as well as the link to purchase this as a professional development If you're listening in on Apple Podcasts or YouTube or anywhere there is a link, you can probably just click on that link that says show notes or episode 37 show notes, and it'll take you to the website right now where you can view all the links and stuff that we talk about in today's episode. When you do purchase that, you'll take a short quiz and then I will send you a certificate of completion. So thank you to everyone who has already done that. I must admit, it's really cool when I get to send out a certificate of completion to someone who just completed the quiz. Um, Some of those people that have completed the quiz will tell you, you know, I make a little personalized video for them and just say thank you so much for listening to the podcast and doing all that really cool stuff and going through the quiz and listening. You know, it's just amazing that this is just a new form to get information out and people are really digging it. So I appreciate that. Today on the show, for that professional development course, we have Erica Del Pozo. Erica is actually the host of another podcast that I really recommend that you all listen to, and that is the Burnt Out to Lit Up podcast. Her and her husband, he's a PT actually, um, they host the show Burnt Out to Lit Up, and they also run the website called joyenergytime.com, another resource I recommend you all to check out. As you know, we are obviously healthcare providers, even though we work in education, we're healthcare providers, and healthcare providers apparently tend to burn out easily, and uh, I think so do educators, so we're kind of like in a double whammy here, but I'm going to let Erica give us a lot of information about this. We have some great discussions here in the next hour, or so it's going to be awesome, and you know what? I think that's all I have for you right now at this moment. Please enjoy this episode with Erica Del Pozo and check out the show notes at OTSchoolhouse.com forward slash episode 37. See you over there. Hey, Erica, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: Doing wonderful. Very happy to have you on here today. Um, You've been doing a lot, whether it be podcasting, social media stuff, there's a lot of stuff going out there. And so I'm so happy to have you on here today. Before we get into today's topic about burnout, I actually want to give you a little bit of a chance to share your career in OT, kind of how you got into the OT world and what you're doing now.
0: Yeah, so... Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, My name is Erica. I'm an OT from Miami. And I experienced significant burnout during the first few years um, of being an OT. So that's something I didn't sign up for, you know, as we all sign up for healthcare, not thinking that can happen to us, but it definitely happened to me. And uh, the first few years of work, I was working in outpatient Pediatrics. Actually, not not until that long ago when my husband and I moved across the country. But I have mainly been working in outpatient pediatrics with some outpatient older adult in there. So working in with uh, patients that have had um, strokes and Parkinson's, and so have quite a bit of um, experience working with with different populations. And um, I with the burnout I experienced, I can equate it to like how you sometimes fall asleep on your arm. So, you know, when, when you go to sleep at night, you fall asleep on your arm, a few hours go by, and then you'll wake up at three in the morning and you're like, oh my God, my arm, I can't feel my arm. <laughs> You know, my arm is tingly, exactly. you're trying to like get control of your arm and you're looking at it and it doesn't even feel like it's attached to you. And that's how, that's basically what I think about when I think about my experience with burnout, it happened over time, over months and within a, within a span of uh, two and a half years where, um, I didn't quite understand what was happening and, um, I would get those moments where I would wake up and realize, oh my God, like what's happening. Um, and I would feel out of control and so, what happened was that I left a job that was uh, had had suboptimal working conditions, to say the least. And after that, I started to uh, reflect on my experiences, I begin to heal, and start just working on myself because that's what I felt like was lacking. And um, after a lot of personal development and getting into all of the, those things, I started to get into business things and. Uh, lo and behold, I became an entrepreneur, which is something that I never would have thought I would do. Um, but it was those experiences and that pain that really pushed me to think, "Wow, you know, if if I went through that, then I'm not the only one. Like, I can't be the only one." And so, in 2017, I founded my business, Joy Energy Time, and in 2018, I created the Burnt Out to Little podcast. And as of now, we are a um, media company online. Uh, We have some uh, real-life events going on with some of our ambassadors around the country hosting healthcare hangouts, but we have the podcast, we have our newsletter, and we're very active on social media, and we're just trying to empower healthcare professionals um, to make change in the healthcare system and to provide resources on stress management, burnout, and well-being. And and anyway, here I am today.
1: (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I love uh, just the social media stuff because it's not all... Not everything you post about is directly related to occupational therapists or occupational therapy. It's very broad and it's very lifestyle um, centric. I feel like it's not just for OT, just for all healthcare, all people in general, which is super cool. Um, but you guys, it's you and someone else, right?
0: My my husband, he's uh, a physical. He's a physical therapist. He's like behind the scenes. Like he'll edit things and he'll load things and. But yeah, he helps <laughs> me with the he helps him with the with the back end stuff.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Cool. But but you guys are just so um just lifestyle centric. Everything on there it really reflects just a positive outlook on life, not just work. And so that's great. Um Well, I'm excited to jump into our topic today. It's something that I have heard a lot about. Um, I may even kind of (laughs) have experienced it slash maybe am experienced a little bit. Um, Both my wife and I, we both work in public education. She's a teacher. I'm an OT, obviously. And I think it's something that we both kind of struggle with. Um, And I know a lot of educators in general tend to struggle with it. But before we get into the nitty gritty of burnout, why don't I let you kind of talk about what it is just a little overview of what burnout is and um, what it looks like
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so burnout is a psychological syndrome that involves a prolonged response to chronic stressors on the job so that's what you want to underline and highlight chronic stressors a day at work here and there it's uh over time acute stressors be turn into chronic fatigue and you have three main components you have emotional exhaustion Um, where you feel like you can't give any more of yourself at a psychological level, Uh, you have increased cynicism, you feel distant and detached from your patients or even the profession as a whole, and then uh, decreased self-efficacy. So you're questioning your competency, your abilities, you have low uh, confidence in your work. And it's those three things that uniquely make up make up burnout for what it is so it's different from just um being being depressed or being stressed out it's these things that are related to work
1: gotcha okay but so would some of the symptoms then kind of be similar to depression
0: Yeah. so so that's a great question because uh where burnout is job-specific and depression is context-free, there can be overlap, especially if you are experiencing depression and you also are experiencing conflicts at work. You may be experiencing um, difficulties at work, whether that be with coworkers or or your relationship to your work, or maybe with your boss, then burnout is a stepping stone in that process. And it's really hard to kind of tease them out, but they can both be present at the same time.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So, Are there any stats or anything out there related to burnout, maybe how frequently people or healthcare providers are experiencing it?
0: Yeah. So unfortunately for OTs, there aren't that many stats out there, which I hope will change soon. But what I have found um, is that 35% of OTs in one study experienced high levels of emotional exhaustion and 43% of them experienced high levels of cynicism. But, you know, we know looking at healthcare overall, there is a lot of attention and research on physicians and nurses. Mm-hmm. So, for physicians, over half of US physicians are experiencing burnout, a rate nearly double that of workers in other professions after controlling for hours worked, age, sex, and other factors. And in a recent study, 63% of nurses um, experience burnout. And they're getting a lot of attention. Attention, because I know there's a lot more of them that make up the workforce mm-hmm. compared to OT and PT. Um, but I know overall in healthcare, they're, just healthcare in general, looking at healthcare burnout, there is a lot of research um, and a lot of stats on that.
1: Yeah. I'd be interested really to know, um, open up a whole nother field. I mean, specifically what we're talking about mostly on this podcast is the education side and to see what it is in teachers because I always hear about teachers lasting few years and then dropping out of the teaching profession. It's actually becoming, I think, somewhat of an epidemic. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if there's similar uh, rates among teachers and physicians, just because there is so much pressure on, you have the social, I can't even talk right now, you have the <laughs> pressure of society, you know, um, with parents and kids. I mean, there's nothing yeah. more precious than a kid to a parent. And you were responsible for that kid for six hours a day. Um, It's just a lot of pressure. Um, All right. So what would you say? I mean, you kind of went over three things. But in the real world, what does it look like? What leads someone to be burnt out at work, especially in that healthcare field?
0: Yeah. So as humans, we are strongly connected to the concept of work. And we receive satisfaction from work because it's It fulfills our deeper psychological needs uh, for greater purpose and value in this world. So it's no surprise that burnout has entered the picture in our modern world because we spend a great deal of time at work. And in the U.S., on average, we spend 8 to 10 more hours at work compared to workers in Western Europe. And on average, full-time salaried workers work 47 hours a week and 25% of salaried workers work more than 50 hours a week. And we know from research that working more than 50 hours a week is correlated with um, increased risk for cardiovascular disease. And physicians typically, on average, work more than 51 hours a week. And that was from research. But I can tell you from my experience, as an OT, I worked over 50 hours a week. And that was just being at work. That didn't count documentation at home or during the weekend. Um, And so I worked, on average, considering all the work I did, at work and away from work, definitely closer to uh, 60 hours. And so it was found that physicians working in specialties requiring more hours reported lower job satisfaction, and then physicians working in specialties requiring fewer hours reported higher job satisfaction. So being a workaholic is something almost that's not even in our control because it's the settings that we work in that require so many hours. And to answer your question, there are two main paths that lead to burnout that has been found in research. So the first one is an unmanageable workload. And that leads to a greater sense of exhaustion, which leads to greater cynicism and reduced efficacy. Mm -hmm. So all the things that are burnout. And with an unmanageable workload, I want to point out, it's not just the quantity of the demands, but it's also the quality of the demands. So if someone is doing work outside of their scope of practice or they're doing things outside of their expectations for what their role is supposed to be, then that is viewed as more burdensome than legitimate tasks. And then another another really common path to burnout is a mismatch of values between yourself and that of the organization, which leads to all three aspects of burnout in full, which then leads to greater energy and involvement from you. So if there is a mismatch between what I value and what the organization values, a gap is created and there's a discrepancy between work I want to do and work I have to do or work that the organization values that I don't value, that, mm-hmm. de- that doesn't align with me. And so that drains one's energy. And so that kind of leads into that reduced involvement and that reduced efficacy And then there are other major things that lead to burnout as well, like decreased autonomy at work. Um, If you have insufficient rewards, and that isn't just financial, social emotional rewards, being appreciated um, is really important. And in studies, that, that has been shown to correlate with a greater sense of efficacy in a study of OTs, actually. Um, and then being bullied at work. So if you're, if there's a lack of fairness, if there's injustice, bullying, it can, and that is a part of that spectrum. So having that can contribute to burnout. Um, also time demands, different, um, not having the proper materials you need to do your job well, Mm -hmm. um, documentation demands, bureaucratic delays. I mean, the list goes on and on, but those are some of the main core things that lead to burnout. And, I know this is a long answer, but there's, it's twofold. So, <laughs> Go for um, it. so from a per, so now talking from a personal perspective, there are some personal factors that can lead to burnout or can contribute to burnout as well. So one of the biggest things that, um, can interfere with the person's recovery from work is not being able to psychologically detach so, if you're going home and you're not uh, able to detach you're thinking about your patients, you're checking into work or whether it's you know telepressure meaning that you feel uh pressured to, or uh, obliged to check into work or you are thinking about uh your patients or your stressors at work, then that interferes with your much needed rest and recovery from the stressors at work As- and other things
1: so I was oh. just gonna agree with you and say absolutely yeah keep on going yeah.
0: Yeah, um, that that's a big one, um, and that's something I experienced firsthand that I wasn't able to psychologically detach. And other pers- personal factors too include quality of sleep, and burnout is correlated with insomnia and sleep problems, um, and so there's a positive relationship between the two of them. Oh. And other things include difficulty setting boundaries, um, deep belly laughs, which is fo- which has been found in research. So it has to be a deep belly laugh that turns the parasympathetic nervous system on and turns off the sympathetic nervous system um, and personality factors. So if you have high levels of neuroticism, you tend to worry a lot, um, you have type A personality, then that can facilitate the acceleration of burnout. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a heavy answer. But there are many different um, extrinsic factors and intrinsic factors that can create a unique cocktail, so to speak, of what leads to burnout in an individual.
1: Absolutely. And that's a lot. But I had a few questions that I wanted to bring up. Just, I mean, everything you were saying kind of hit home. Like I kind of just, you put words in my mouth, really. Um, But what about phone use? What do you think? I mean, is phone use having a big uh, impact? Do you think people are taking their phone home, leaving their email on and checking their email, you know, every 10 minutes, their work email?
0: Yeah, well, well, that's um, a form of telepressure. So, if you feel obligated to uh, check into work when you're away from work, um, then that can interfere with your sleep, your quality of sleep, and that has been shown to be the case. And so, absolutely. And we, because of our society, we're expected to be on. We're expected to be available. I've been emailed while I've been on vacation to sign off on. on documentation and it's unbelievable, you know, um, just because it's, it's this lack of respect for your personal time. And I don't quote me on this, but I know I, I heard in France that, or somewhere in Europe that when it hits five o'clock, then literally the tables will go up into the ceiling. What? <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> I, I heard that somewhere. I think I read it or saw it in a video. Um, And so it, it kind of it's a very literal signal that uh, work is done, you go home now, and you enjoy that time um, huh. with your with your family. <laughs> that's
1: really good. I mean, I'm sure it's only a few select businesses, but yeah, that's really cool that they do that. Um, I want to share some of my own personal experiences here because it kind of correlates mm-hmm. with some of the things you're talking about. Um, personally, I do have my work email on my phone. However... I use the Microsoft Outlook email for that. So I have it on a specific app. That way I can check my own personal email without getting distracted by the work emails. And I can choose whether or not. And actually, I usually, over summer especially, I turn off the notifications and the badges on that app so that I don't see whether or not there's an email coming in. Um, this, This summer in particular, I made a specific objective not to respond. And, you know, every now and then I would peek and just see what the message was. But I was like, you know what? This is my summer. This is my time. I'm not getting paid right now. Um, I'm not going to respond right now. So that's one of the ways that I kind of <laughs> just said, you know what? I'm done for right now. Come August, whatever day we go back, I will turn on my email and just sit down for a few hours and respond to all the emails because that's work mm-hmm. time. So
0: that's a great way of f- approaching it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, especially in education, like you said, it's expected. But, I mean, a lot of people talk about educators needing to get paid more. But so many educators work when they're not on the clock. I got invited to a work meeting on a day that no one was expected to work. Like, the teacher told me, it's like, we're setting up this meeting to schedule IEPs, but no one's getting paid for this. And so, like, five teachers and people met on campus on a day that they weren't getting paid. And I was like, you know what? No, <laughs> I'm not going to um, to partake in this because if you do it, then you're saying it's okay. And then the district's just going to, you know, want a little bit more of your time next time potentially. And so, yeah, two experiences where I just put my foot down this summer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, nope.
0: well, I'm proud. I'm proud of you to do that because you're right because then that, sex, that sets the expectations for what's acceptable and that be- Be unacceptable, and that's a great point that you made. So I'm glad that you set those boundaries because um, that was one of the personal um, factors that came into play was you setting boundaries at work and in your life, and that is one of the biggest. That's one of the biggest personal things that can contribute to that sense of um, experiencing burnout.
1: Absolutely. All right. So we went over some consequences, I think, and consequences. I think we talked a lot about um, personal consequences, but what about in the workplace? How is this affecting the actual business that you work for and the people that you work with?
0: Mm -hmm. So burnout in terms of professional outcomes has been associated with job dissatisfaction, low organizational commitment, absenteeism, presenteeism, uh, poor job performance, intention to leave one's job, higher rates of turnover, um, decrease patient satisfaction and dysfunctional relationships with colleagues. So it doesn't just affect you and, and how you feel, but it affects patients and your organization.
1: Yeah. And I mean, from a business standpoint, you and I are both kind of running businesses. I mean, the last thing I want is someone to be there eight hours, but getting four hours worth of work done or something, you know, and I can imagine that that could be not so great for the productivity of the actual business and, um, the bottom lines for the business. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, personally and taking it home is there any th- research about relationships at home with their family or anything like that have you have you come about any of that
0: in research there has been um there has been areas where people that are experiencing burnout that they will take that home with them and that will spill over into their home life. And so that emotional exhaustion and that um low psychological detachment, think about how that will interfere with someone's home life. What energy are they gonna have left when they come home? And I can imagine, and from my experience, it it's not, experiencing burnout is not an isolated situation where it just happens at work and stays at work it affects literally every part of your life um and so your relationships your your um your partner your friends your family um i don't know to what degree because i think everyone experience it experiences it in such a unique way but in one way or another that does spill over into other areas of your life
1: yeah i agree All right, so you've helped us to understand a lot about burnout so far, kind of the onset of it, um, and how it can can cause some discord, both personally and professionally. So let's dive into what is currently being done about these healthcare professionals. Are there any type of assessments out there? Are there, um, I mean, Google, I I just think of Google when I think of potentially some company that might be trying to combat burnout or something, you know, those big companies. Um, Have you heard of any assessment screening tools or anyone doing stuff like that?
0: Yeah, so that's funny you brought up Google because I know big companies in, in tech um, and other companies they have such incredible employee well-being strategies and they have meditation rooms and they have they probably have nap rooms and I know there's breweries inside these mm-hmm. you know in these offices but in healthcare we're very behind in that regard. And um, one of the biggest assessments out there, it was developed by one of the leading researchers in this field of burnout, Christina Maslash. So the the, the assessment is called the Maslash Bur- Burnout Inventory, or MBI. And there's one specifically for um, healthcare professionals. So it's the MBI-HSS, Human Services Survey. And there are other ones out there, but honestly, this is for, for me, the one I came across the most in the literature in terms of what assessments were being used to measure burnout in research, um, there were other ones as well, um, that kind of have some, they go along with, they go along with it, but they have some differences. Um, but I would, I would recommend this one. I consider that this one to be the gold standard. Great.
1: I will definitely make sure to put a link to that. Um, Show notes will be OTSchoolhouse.com forward slash episode 37. So we'll get some information about that there. All right, so it's August. I think we're recording this on August 8th or 9th, whatever today is. I just had my first day back at school. Everyone out there, most of the people that listen to this podcast, uh, they're, school pre- or they're school occupational therapists, school-based OTs. And so they're all heading into the workplace right now. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, disengaging from your phone. <laughs> you mentioned a big belly laugh. I almost want to ask you for an example of that, but uh-huh. I won't. <laughs> but what are some things that you think school-based occupational therapists or pediatric OTs can really do to try to prevent that burnout going forward in this, uh, this new year that's starting up here in school?
0: Mm -hmm. So that's a great question. And in terms of preventing burnout, because we're, you know, in healthcare, especially in OTs, we understand the power of of prevention. And one of the biggest tools that we can have is that self-awareness. So the first thing you could do is to conduct a personal audit. And I'm in the process of coming up with a template for that because I think that would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But a personal audit and thinking about and dissecting the different areas of your life. So thinking about work, um, thinking about do I have the things I need to have at work to be successful, to do my job well, from actual tools, materials, equipment, to enough social support, um, to increased autonomy. Do I have these different things that support my well-being, that support my performance at work? Um, Do I have strong examples of leadership at work? Do I have opportunities to grow? So looking at work um, as burnout most often typically stems from the work environment. So I believe that would be a great place to start. And then thinking about yourself and how you cope with stressors and thinking about what do you what do you want in life in terms of your career? Because I think so many of us, you know, we get a job because we get a job and um that can happen to anyone in any career and I know for OTs we're we're virtuous and mm-hmm. we um but I think sometimes we can get into a job and we don't necessarily have our professional and career goals um fully developed and we're just kind of taking it year by year. So I would encourage you to take a step back and work on those um, professional goals and do your values align with your organization's values? Because that's something that I think a lot of us don't really stop to think about. And so, so looking at that and then the personal factors, like I said, like how how you're coping with stress, looking at your sleep, the quality of your sleep, um, are you moving your body? Are do you have um, coping strategies? Do you have a strong social support outside of? social support outside of work, Mm -hmm. um, and looking at the various aspects of your life at your habits. And as OTs, we're really good at, um, that occupational analysis, activity analysis. So looking at our habits, our rituals, and are they de-energizing or are they energizing us? And, And you can start there and just looking at the different parts of your life and then creating, um, some sort of plan, uh, personally and professionally to get you on the right path.
1: Yeah. So would you say that all those methods that you just gave us a lot of great information that we can start off with, would you say that someone is already feeling burnt out? Are those the same recommendations you would give? Or is there any other things that you'd like to say for someone who's already kind of feeling that pressure and and feeling like they don't want to go to work anymore?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's such a hard place. And I've been there. And thinking about how I I coped with it in the past, I was using a lot of avoidance to cope with that feeling. I was avoiding my feelings. I was avoiding dealing with how I hated work and I just wanted just to go to work and because it was a good pay, it was a good place, everything was fine from that end, but I was miserable and some things were happening that I didn't align with. And so something I didn't ask myself that I would ask myself and something that you should think about if you are in that place is, thinking about what's the most important thing for you in your life right now. Like if you could change one thing right now, what would it be? And what is getting in the way of of you achieving what you want most in life? And thinking of more beyond I hate my job or, you know, like my, my my job sucks. Thinking about okay, let's let's approach this from, uh, engagement coping. Let's and engagement coping. There's two, we can break that down into two different, um, sections. So emotion focused, like for example, if you're stuck in traffic and you're going to be late to work and there's nothing you can do, uh, because that's the one path and you're going to be late no matter what, um, uh, emotion of focused coping is taking a few deep breaths and just accepting that situation and trying to self soothe yourself in that moment. And then problem focus is okay. I'm going to, I have a problem, I'm going to um, call in whatever social support I need, or I'm going to do whatever I can to proactively solve this problem. So don't be like me, where I was in disengagement coping, and I was avoiding the problem. But instead, uh, proactively address it with that question, like, what is most important to me right now? And I think that will give you that's a great place to start. And that will cue you into, hmm. Maybe I have little autonomy and that autonomy is impacting my my well-being at work or maybe I'm not getting paid enough and I need to ask for a reason that's really impacting my my well-being too. So think about what is it that's really causing you to feel this way and it could be it could be 20 different things or Mm -hmm. it could just be one thing but get get it all out on paper. And write them all down and then get a highlighter and highlight the things that you, I have identified as most important to your well-being right now. And you can little by little work on those changes. But just start with the most important thing right now.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I kind of use the similar mindset, you know, things that I can versus I can't control. And just uh, an example, you know over the summer I could control whether or not I looked on my emails. What I couldn't control is thinking about, you know, what my caseload is going to look like come August. I had no idea. There's no way I can control it. It was up to the people way above me to figure out my numbers and I would figure I would worry about that once I could have a say in it come today, basically. But another thing I wanted to touch upon, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, was growth. And I think that's something that impacted me because as occupational therapists in the schools, we're, I mean, we're OTs. That's what we are. There is no real position in most, um, in most states, I believe, that we could go up. Like we can't become an administrator or something like that. And so that's something that almost, that has a direct correlation on me starting the OT schoolhouse and the podcast. Because I was like, I'm an OT. Most pay scales are five to seven years. So I'm in my seventh year. So I'm pretty up there as far as the pay scale. I'm kind of topping out, and then I was like, "Well, now where do I go from here?" And so, growth was a big thing that I couldn't get at work, which ultimately led me to really start the OT schoolhouse. Um, is that kind of what you mean by growth, or
0: that's a great? Um, thank you for bringing that up. discrepancies, glass ceilings, um, as far as professional growth. That is a huge thing for OTs, and I can give you an example. So, when I was a student in field work, I was in an inpatient rehab hospital, and there was a PT. She was a, a staff member, and I was, you know, I was a student, and I observed her. And I would overhear talk about this PT that, you know, she would go and do her job, had a normal forty-hour week, but she was becoming an RN. Um, she was taking classes at night on the weekends and she was getting her RN registered
1: nurse right
0: yeah yeah registered nurse and i was i didn't understand why like and i asked um my my work educator why is she getting that and then she told me because she wants to be a rehab director and we can't be that as OTs and PTs you have to be a nurse or a doctor mm-hmm. and I was like that's so silly like <laughs> are you serious like yep. and that was the only way she could put herself in a position to uh, advance and I think for OTs and PTs you're right we're limited to opening a a private practice and many of us may not want to do that, Mm -hmm. but it may be the only option for growth in terms of moving up. There aren't a lot of opportunities to move up. And so, that is one thing but when I talk about growth I talk a, a lot about like personal growth and and there's a lot of different dimensions of wellness that you can um that you can experience growth and for me that was what really helped me to become more assertive and confident in myself and that's what um helped me to kind of heal from from this experience so growth you know professionally and personally is is both important yeah And I
1: think a lot of people also um, use continuing education as a way to build growth, build confidence and uh, fulfillment even, you know, you go and get a certificate and you just feel so much more empowered by what you can take and help your patients with. So another way to to grow. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Well, let's see here. Moving on over, do you think that when one is burnt out that they might be able to fake it until they make it, quote unquote, you know, that whole thing, you know, just smile and eventually you'll become happy? Um, (laughs) Is that real or is that, I guess we could call it almost myth or real or whatever what would you
0: but, say? Um, Mythbusters, like that show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so fake it till you make it, I think in this case can only take you so far because the emotional exhaustion component of the syndrome, you are unable to give anything more. And that's what it, it feels like. So it your energy is already compromised. And And if you're doing work that's misaligned your values between the values of the organization and you have an unmanageable workload and there's other things into play, then your your precious energy is being diverted and drained. And so... I think it's really hard to hide it. And, you know, we do a great job when we're working with patients um, because I can speak from my, you know, from my own experience. I want, when I'm with patients, I'm on, I'm on, Mm -hmm. especially with kids, you have to be 100% on. And, and, but when, you know, in between those patients, you know, during breaks, when you're entering work, leaving work, there's other times where you just really feel it. And, you can only do that so much and people that kind of go on, um, and they have burnout and they don't really, first of all, they might not even be really aware of it. It could have become their new normal. And when something's normal to you, you don't challenge it. So if you over time get accustomed to what burnout is, then unfortunately some people can just live through it, put uh, output the bare minimum at Mm -hmm. work. Um, and you've seen, I've seen that I've seen um, clinicians, practitioners that are, um, more experienced than I have. And I know what it's like for someone to be engaged and someone to be burnt out. And it's, you can only fake that for so long. And I, I, I like to think of it as like boxing. So Mm -hmm. let's say, uh, I'm a boxer (laughs) and I, I train, I get enough sleep, I eat well, I have an amazing coach and um outside of the gym. I'm working hard and I'm working on myself. But when I walk in the gym or when I walk into a match and I'm a hundred and whatever pounds and there is an a thousand pound man <laughs> or, or whatever, it's intimidating. And, um, chances are I'm not, I'm going to lose that match. So I kind of equate that to going into work, you know, no matter if you work on the personal growth and then the per and personal development, good, f- good for you. You mm-hmm. focus on, uh, having an energizing life, you focus on getting plenty of rest and sleep. And let's say you have great habits and routines, but if you get into work and the conditions are terrible, you know, that's not going to support you. You're not going to thrive and you're not going to grow. And there's, like, we talked about many different things that can make that happen. And so at the end of the day, you have to decide is this place is this place of employment um, going to support me long term is mm-hmm. is or am I going to burn out and turn into one of those um, practitioners that is just giving little to nothing and you have to decide for yourself and it does take a lot of awareness so don't feel bad if you've got into that place if you know you're producing the minimum output don't judge yourself now, because mm-hmm. it happens to the best of us. It ha- it did happen to me. So just take a step back, reassess, and then go from there.
1: Yeah. And so a little while ago, I asked you kind of about assessment tools. And I mentioned Google real quick. Um, but what do you see as teams doing within the workplace to prevent burnout? We kind of mentioned, you know, kind of Google having some sort of nap room or something like that meditation room. Um, but what mm-hmm. are you seeing that may be more realistic or are you seeing anything
0: some factors at at work that were, um, that brought the team together. I did experience some in some cases and in one place, um, where I worked, I could say there was a high sense of, uh, unity and community. And I did really appreciate that. And there was a lot of fun to be had, um, for Halloween, we dressed up the entire week and we had themes and we were really into it. And those things really made work enjoyable. Um, and, but there are, you know, things that team, first of all, Your team um, communication is really important. And so this is a quote from the Harvard Business Review. The single most important factor in team success or failure is the quality of relationships on the team. And so when I started to get into burnout, I started to realize how important the team is and team communication. And, you know, looking back, yeah, I felt good during that time, but it was because we had that strong sense of community. And so one of the things that can facilitate burnout is a lack of community. And having de-energizing ties. So you don't have to answer this out loud, Jason, but mm-hmm. have you ever gone to work and you ask someone for advice over someone else that has less knowledge, but because you like them more? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like that's happened. That That happens. And that's happened to me where um, you, because as humans, we want to seek a, an interaction that makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and so having that de- those de-energizing ties at work, um, can facilitate increased turnover, can facilitate de- decreased motivation at work. And so effective team communication can be, um, there's different ways, to, uh, different ways to do that. And one of the things that, I really like is showing the work, like showing appreciation languages at work. So have you heard of that before? Yeah,
1: we at my previous job, we did like the four different colors, whatever. And people, um, they appreciate different things. You know, some people appreciate nice language. Some people appreciate Mm -hmm. thank you notes. Um, So is that kind of what you're talking about? Or is there something
0: yeah, yeah, it's um, acts of service. So if you, um, and you can usually tell what someone's appreciation language is by how they show appreciation to others. And I think this is important and not to be um, uh, overlooked because it's these little acts of gesture and gratitude throughout the day that add up. And if that isn't happening, um, and if people are short with each other or there's miscommunication or there's, you know, just this mentality where I just do my work and I don't really, you know, interact with anyone, then that can... And that can add to this greater sense of, you know, lack of community. So being intentional about showing each other that you appreciate them, and it's these little things, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be these big things. Um just the little daily things matter. And understanding um someone's unique personality matrix, and there's quizzes online that can help you to identify that. But let's say I like a lot of details, and I like um I, I prefer a manual when you mm-hmm. tell me something. Whereas you prefer quick bullet points, quick takeaways, just give me the most important information. There could be a lot of conflict in communication because I feel like you're not listening because you're not doing it my way. And so when you have these sorts of different personalities, and there's no good or bad, we all have different, um, it's like the big five personality, ocean. So openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. We have to understand when we're working with people, we spend a lot of time At work, and so we have to make sure that we're doing our best to meet people in the middle, or they can meet us in the middle, or we can figure out how to um, work together, speaking to each other's unique personality matrix, so that we can have that effective communication.
1: Yeah, and then conversely, what do you think there are things? What do you think are some things that maybe groups of people do at work that um, facilitates burnout or facilitates feelings that lead to burnout?
0: So in one study, someone in in a healthcare setting, people that complained about feeling burnt out to other people infected them with Mm. those feelings of burnout. So burnout is thought to be more of a contagious group phenomenon than it is an individual one. So one of the biggest things um, is complaining. And, you know, it's important to have a safe space where you can share, okay, maybe I had a bad patient, I had a bad day, but, you know if it's complaining for the sake of complaining and it's always this negative energy around Mm. your interactions on a regular basis, you know, having that work BFF can be great. But if you guys are always, um, focusing on the negative things happening at work, talking, um, behind other people's backs and that can be a source of stress and, Um, you may think you're bonding with each other because you have the gossip and all that stuff, but it's actually adding to this false sense of community. And so, you know, falling into those traps at work, there's actually names for it, like corrosive trap, complacency trap. So if you, um, and we all play an important role in this. So if you and your team, there's that negative energy. Then that is, those are one of those things that can lead to this sense of burnout because it's 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 contagious. It's spreading, and so you have to do something different. You have to flip that script and add um, ways to. Mobilize energy in a positive way.
1: Mm-hmm. That's funny. I'm actually kind of scrolling through your your uh, Instagram account right now, and I see one of your posts. That you know, you do a lot of those little the words, just like short quotes. They're not really quotes, but um, little sayings. And the one I'm looking at right now is that burnout is contagious. Exactly what you just kind of said. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, honestly, that's probably going to be the one thing that I'm going that's going to stick in my mind today, just because you just called me out because I was guilty of that today. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I'm going to have to, that's one thing that's going to stick out in my mind today is, you know, being, being positive, you know, even though things might not always be going, going so great to be positive and, uh, and have an uplifting, uplifting spirit, I guess, about, about work and, and take the, take care of the things that I can control. Um, all right. So, in preparing for some of these questions, I, I also did look at your Instagram. I just, I always see your Instagram. I love it. But one of the themes that I've seen on your Instagram is posts about not comparing yourself to others. And I love, I would love for you to share a little bit about um, the effects of comparing yourself to others, whether it be in person or maybe even on social media.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I talk about this a lot um, because, you know, in the 90s when we grew up, we we've always done it. It's just how how it we do it changes. And so in the '90s, you know, we compare ourselves to the models we see in magazines or to the athletes we see on TV. But now we compare ourselves to quote unquote you know influencers and people that aren't necessarily celebrities but have quote unquote famous accounts. Whatever mm-hmm. you whatever you classify as you know as famous or popular. And and so I think in the healthcare niche, on specifically Instagram, there's a lot of these, uh, hyper polished looks with the perfect scrubs and you don't look like you're tired. So you must be a new grad, right? (laughs) 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 Um, and it's, and this, this false glamorization of medicine and healthcare that for some people is like, you know, you look like that, but I had, I feel like I'm in the worst place I could ever be right now in my job. And like, you can compare yourself to those people that look glamorous and they have the perfect scrubs and, and they, they're so in love with the the field and you feel like, well, I'm not. And so there must be something wrong with me. And so this, you know, with just like we know the the models on magazines, whatever, you know, on billboards, they're, they're photoshopped. We have to know that, you know, what we see on Instagram or social media may look real, but we choose what we want to show. And so don't compare, compare yourself to others that maybe they're um, this, maybe they have a huge OT uh, platform online, but maybe that's not what you want to do. But maybe, I don't know, we have all these different ways of making ourselves feel inadequate. And Mm. so don't compare yourself, just take it with a a grain of salt. And if you find yourself that you're relying too much, if you're checking social media too much and it's making you feel bad, you need to do, that could be a part of your audit. You know, am I checking this too much? How is it making me feel? Um, do I need to unfollow or mute people? And then reassess. And maybe that has to do with how you're viewing it, you know, how you're viewing people. Because, you know, I, th- I think for the most part, the healthcare community on Instagram, for the most part, from what I've seen, you know, they have good intentions. Mm-hmm. But it's it could be in how different people portray themselves that may make other people feel like less than or they don't have it all. And that's no one has it all. We just have yeah. to understand that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, agree with you 100% on that. What about in the workplace and comparing yourself? Uh, maybe you're comparing yourself to that other occupational therapist that's somehow managing 99% productivity or… Um, that other OT that um, just always seems to have it going for him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you never know what someone is is going through. And um, as a student, one of my fieldwork educators, I I thought she had it all. Actually, one someone in the clinic, um, I thought she had it all. Like she was young, she had a, a few years under her belt, and she looked like she was like the best OT on planet Earth. And then. I overheard her, you know, she's like, I eat ice cream for dinner every night and I'm, I'm miserable and I'm single. And I'm like, wow. You know, like you just mm-hmm. don't know what people are going through. And especially in healthcare, like, like you know, with kids, we always have to be on. And so um, we can always feel like we're on and people, you might not really get to know someone or they're, they may not be showing to you their true selves. And so if you envy someone, Think about why you envy them. Do you envy them for their experience? Do you envy them for how they deal with difficult patients? And, you know, you can take that as an opportunity to to learn from them. And I think, you know, in that way, envy can be a little healthy. You know, you you have to decipher what is healthy and unhealthy and thinking about maybe those are attributes I want, but I'm not there yet. And maybe they could be a mentor to me or I can learn from them. And so you can use it like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. So... I want to wrap up here shortly, but another topic that I know you're kind of interested in is emotional intelligence and talking a little bit about. We'll just start off with what is emotional intelligence. Um, We'll just start off with that first and then we'll dive into it a little bit.
0: Emotional intelligence is the way in which people process emotions and how they identify, express, understand, and regulate and use their emotions. So it has been shown in research that people with high emotional intelligence or EI, they also have high resiliency and high optimism. And there was one study that found that the higher the emotional intelligence in a group of of PTs, speech therapists, OTs, doctors and nurses, um, the higher the EI, the lower the burnout individuals with high traits of emotional intelligence, they're more likely to appraise stressful situations as a challenge rather than a threat. And they are more confident that they can cope with their with those situations. And so that overall ends up with lower reactivity stress wise in terms of psychological, like your mood and also physiological. So it's pretty interesting. Um, and yeah, I know we, as OTs, especially in pediatrics, we may help kids uh, regulate their emotions. And we also have to think about how we, uh, how we are aware of our emotions and do we regulate our own emotions?
1: I mean, I think of something like journal writing or something or so there's there some different strategies that maybe you recommend for people that um, just want to kind of check in with themselves on their emotions.
0: Mhm. Right. So this was something I had a huge problem with. And I would just jump to the worst conclusion. And I, and sometimes I still struggle with that where I get, um, where I face a problem, or I face a stressor, and I have high emotional reactivity. And mm-hmm. I, I know that's something I'm still working on. Um, but there is, you know, based on the research, I came up with an acronym. And it may not be the best or most memorable, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's SABI. It's S-A-B-I. So I have a friend, Sabrina. Sometimes I call her (laughs) Sabby. Sabby. So the first thing is stop. Stop and think, what's really pushing my buttons here? Because, you know, we have been hardwired maybe a certain way. So a certain stressor can elicit a certain response. But this is an awareness tool to stop and think, what actually is pushing my buttons here? A is, why am I reacting so strongly? And it could be a certain type of patient that sets you off that you may think, you know, I can't work with these type of patients, but maybe it's they make you feel like um, you're not confident in your skills, whatever. I'm just using that um, as an example. So why get to the root of why you are reacting so strongly? B, what's the best or worst that could happen in, in this case? And then I, how important Will this be tomorrow? So this can be uh, maybe a rift you have with your coworkers. Um if they did something, they perhaps ate your lunch, <laughs> which I don't think would ever happen. <laughs> but I'm just trying to think. Maybe, maybe they you you put a yogurt and you know they for some reason thought it was theirs, but your that was your afternoon snack and it's not there anymore. So does this always happen? Was this a one time mistake? Why, you know, think about how, why am I reacting so strongly? So that's the A, why am. (laughs) And (laughs) then um, I tried to make this somewhat memorable with Savvy. And then what's the best or worst that can happen? And then how important will this be? So a week from now, even the next day, won't be that important that she ate your yogurt. Um, And then, so just thinking about what's worthwhile in terms of holding on to... And when you think about it, there's a lot of things that aren't worth holding on to, but we do. We hold on to them. We hold on to um, stressful events. We replay things in our minds. We think about, you know, we can really sit and dwell in that anger um, if we allow allow ourselves to. And so that, um, a lot of awareness techniques um, can really be helpful. And one of the best things is mindfulness. So if you're mindful of the situation and, and then you can stop and think about, you know, the, the going through that that checklist of questions I just said, that can be helpful. But then journaling is another fabulous tool that I use that, you know, might not be able to help you in that moment. But over time, if you're journaling in the morning or at night, th- there was a study that um, nurses that were journaling um, at the end of the study had lower uh, levels of burnout and higher levels of, of satisfaction. And so... Um, it can really be a helpful tool into diving deeper into some of your emotional triggers and thinking about more useful coping strategies. And journaling in and of itself is very calming for me. And so it has added um, so much to my life.
1: Gotcha. All right. I got one more for you off uh, off the questions that I sent you originally. And it's about workload. And I think that is something, I mean, Whether or not you're a teacher, an OT, whether or not you're in education, or if you're in a skilled nursing facility, everyone struggles with workload, I feel like. And so what are some ways that you've gone about, um, I guess, being proactive when you are given such a high workload? Mm
0: so yeah workload is one of the biggest things um, that can lead to burnout and unmanageable workload and like I said it's the the quality and the quantity and you have to question what is in and out of your control because a lot of times we may think that's out of our control but there was one time where I hit that wall early on with burnout where I was able to talk to the owner of the clinic and we agreed that we're going to um, cut some hours from my schedule to make my workload more manageable. And that was something that I didn't think I could ask, like, because I was new, I was a new grad. So mm-hmm. I didn't think I can make that change. But we adapted two of my mornings um, into just documentation time, even though it was unpaid, it was still time where they weren't allowed to schedule patients for me. And I was so relieved by that, because I got to a point where I hit that as I call it like a burnout breaking point. And then I I came to this realization, it was like the arm analogy where I felt like I was drowning. I felt like I was out of control like everything was out of control. I had so much paperwork that it was um I couldn't sleep at night because for one evaluation I completed there was like seven more. Mm-hmm. And um and so I did speak with my manager and there were times in that um outpatient pediatric clinic where there were we had reevaluations every six months. And there were some months where I had one or two and then there were other months where there was like 15 and it just happened to be the plan of care, um, you know, when it ended and that was out of my control because I can't control when plan of care is end right. and it was very difficult for me. But if you I also learned that if I had too much on my plate and another OT, maybe she didn't have any that month and it only because of the patients we see that happened, I could go to her or she could go to me and be like, hey. Can you please do these two re-evals just to help me out? And this, like, that, that huge teamwork component. And that comes from a place of trust. Like, do you have that basic fundamental trust, that psychological safety that you feel comfortable going to someone? Or are they going to snitch and say, well, so-and-so, they can't handle it. And mm-hmm. But, you know, I just, I feel like settings like that are very hostile and there's yeah. not that strong... Unity. So hopefully you're at a place where you can balance some of that workload a little bit, so it becomes manageable. And um, it takes courage to set those boundaries, and that's something I didn't know I could do until I did them. So yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, completely agree. All right, well that was a lot of information in a short amount of time. I hope everyone. I mean, I'm sure everyone uh, got a lot from that. Uh, it goes to show too, because you're not a school-based OT, but everything that you say is so applicable to a school-based OT and it's applicable to basically anyone in the workforce. Um, so yeah, really appreciate that. Before I let you go, is there anything else that you'd like to share about burnout or about um, how to how to cope?
0: Um, so I think... For someone listening, if they want more resources and things that um, you can look over your uh, on your own time and different um, strategies and tools, we have a lot on our website. Um, that's joyenergytime.com. And also our podcast, the Burnt Out to Lit Up podcast. And this is a, my my whole mission is because this topic is so complex and there's so many different avenues you can take to approach this and to come to this place where you have the highest sense of well-being at work and in your personal life. This is, this is really what my work is about. So going to our website, listening to our podcast, and then we have a newsletter, which is, um, I received such wonderful feedback from my subscribers recently, and they said it helps them feel like they're not alone. And that's really powerful for me because coming from so many different people, it's like, I think we feel alone in this journey. We feel like We must be the only ones going through burnout because our coworkers look fantastic, but you don't know if they're going through it as well. And you know, they're just kind of going through the motions to get by. But like I said, you can only figure till you make it so far. And so think about yourself. Take care of yourself right now. Don't wait for um, a bad something bad to happen at work. Kind of like um, I'm from Florida, so we have hurricanes and, you know, we would prepare for, if it's hurricane season, like now, August hurricane season, um, we would kind of have everything ready just in case and then have lots of water and, and batteries. And then when a hurricane does come, uh, they're not sudden. So we still have a little, a few days to prepare, but nevertheless, like, the whole point, don't just wait for an emergency to happen. Um, be prepared. So equip yourself with the personal growth tools. Um, work on your personal or sorry, your professional goals, what you want in your career. Um, focus on doing things that bring you joy um, that don't necessarily have to have an end product. So I think as adults, we forget this and we see kids and we, we play with kids, especially mm. in therapy, but. Do we do anything like that in our own lives for the sake of it? Um, and that's something that I'm guilty of. I want to start dancing again, not because I want to be a professional dancer like I used to want to be, but just because I enjoy dance. And I mm. think so. Just finding joy in your life, um, wherever that may be, is is a great place to, to start.
1: Absolutely. All right, Erica. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate everything that you said. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to share and uh, share for everyone to hear this. It's going to be awesome. And everyone, be sure to check out Burnt Out to Lit Up. Or Did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, 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 I thought that's I said it podcast. backwards when I put it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, having fun here on the OG Schoolhouse podcast. Um, and be sure to check out Joy Energy, Time, um, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, The website, right, is joyenergytime.com. And we will also put all the links on the show notes at otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 37. So thank you, Erica. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening.
0: Thank you, Jason.
1: (laughs) All right. You take care. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. A big shout out to Erica for coming on, taking the time to spend about an hour with me to record this for you all. I hope you really appreciate that. I hope you do take some time in your life for yourself, away from work, turn off the emails and all that good stuff. Be sure to check out the show notes at OTSchoolhouse.com forward slash episode 37, where you will also have the opportunity to purchase this as a professional development course and earn one contact hour of professional development for your NBCOT renewal. So check that out and we'll see you here next time on the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Now that you've listened to this episode, head on over to OTSchoolhouse.com forward slash PD, as in professional development, to earn your continuing education certificate. Until next time, class is dismissed.